Hello my friend, I'm Avi Caparas, host of The Decisive Life and founder of Ethics for Work and Life. And I'm honored to be your decision coach today to help you become a better person by making better decisions every day. I believe that we arrive at crossroads, we face dilemmas, we get at decision moments for a reason, and it is up to us to face them with serenity and courage and most of all, gratitude. Our topic for today is how to build a legacy. And after spending many years working, perhaps you have stopped a while to really think what have you contributed with your identity, with your work, with your relationship. If you have been thinking about this, you are not alone because the current economic recession and the COVID pandemic has made us realize that we are really blessed with our life, our work, and our relationships. And regardless of the hits and the misses, the climbs and the plateaus of our career, we can still connect the dots and capture at a certain given time what is it that we could leave behind for the next generation. Sometimes the legacy is not intended. Sometimes you go on working and afterwards you realize that actually I have left my example, my conduct, my everything. On the other hand, the legacy can be intentional, that you really start wanting that this is what I will leave behind. Okay, so we are joined in this live stream by Mr. Mario Gattus, the chairman of the board of Lee Heck Harrison. With a career spanning 60 years, he will share his experiences and their meanings that helped him to see what is his legacy. Hi, Mar. Hi, Eric. I'm very happy that Mar has said yes to joining <laughs> my live stream. Perhaps we have met 10 years ago with our friendship Ventura. And after that, really nothing until I rejoined LinkedIn and I saw him and I thought he could be our guest for this topic that I really wanted on how to build a legacy. So Mar, like me, although he said some years apart, we graduated from UE accountancy and then later on he shifted to people management or managing people. So my first question, Mar, is how did you find the shift from accounting to people management? It was quite easy because when I was in management services, I did a lot of work related to organizational studies, you know, assessing organizations, how well they can be improved on. I did operations audits to assess how effective organizations are. I got involved in the review and improvement of job evaluation systems, performance evaluation systems. And in SGB, at that time, we had a very effective uh, performance uh, evaluation and appraisal system. So moving from management services to HR, it was easy for me. It was actually easier for me to do HR work than to do management services work. In what sense is it easier? Is it like you can end the work at five o'clock? while the accountants still have the whole evening to work? That's true. And keeping track of accounting standard was getting to be very difficult because the world was changing. There are so many frauds happening. It was most, more difficult to do accounting and management consulting work. Whereas in human resources, there were no such sources of stress. The shift that you did, did it prepare you for your work in TBM or Drake B. Memorial and later on LIEC? Oh, yes. Perhaps you could talk about what you actually do in your current work. Actually, what I did before uh, prepared me well for what I'm doing now in Lehek Harrison. You know, in Lehek Harrison, we help employees adapt to change when they're about to retire and when they're about to be separated. 
when I learned about these services, I jumped into it because it is an area where I could apply what I've learned in the past and I can help employees transition as well. You see, in the Philippines, people who are being separated, retired, or retrenched, they are not prepared well for life after separation. All that happens is that management pays them off. In effect, what management does is, guys, we've served well, but the business needs to retrench excess employees. Therefore, we are terminating you and we are giving you one month for every year of service. Some stick to the one month for every year of service. In LHH, we work together with employers so that they prepare their employees for change long before it happens. You see, when an employee is separated today so that she will no longer report for work tomorrow, that is quite a terrible experience. Separation or retirement, you know, need to be prepared for in advance because employees who are being separated or retrenched, they hardly prepare for their lives after separation and transition. So much needs to be done. You know, a person who is used to working and getting his pay every 30 days or every 15 days will not be prepared for life after separation. He needs to prepare for that time when he will no longer be receiving his salary every 15 days or every 30 days. And more than that, a person who has been separated wouldn't know how to handle the amount of money that he'll be receiving from the separation. Many separated employees spend most of their money a few days or a few months after separation, only to realize later that they have nothing to feed their children. You met DBM five years after SGV, is that right? Five years, that's true. Is it something like you would have found useful after leaving SGV? No, I was having fun before that. <laughs> after I left SGV, I got elected as president of my Rotary Club. I was busy the whole year serving as president, and that required a lot of my time, and I enjoyed doing Rotary work, you know. So that was a good transition. You went into, like, community networking oh, yes. service, one of those options to do after early retirement. Yes, and shortly after I served my term as Rotary, I got a call from Boss Sisip. He said, Mar, Senator Osmeña needs help. I said, I asked Was, what kind of help? Was said, he would like to put up a foundation that helps small and medium enterprises with the help of volunteer executives. Uh, sure, was I said, I like that. So I called up Senator Osmeña. I had breakfast with him together with Secretary Sefolyosko, who was the Secretary of DOST at the time. They said, can you help us? I said, yes. And then Sergio Sufmeña said, can you spend half a week with us? I said, yes. Half day, every day? And I said, yes, you know, because I like the work. At that time, the NTPNI Volunteers Foundation had two roles. One is helping SMEs in the Philippines, and the other one is sourcing retired executives from the U.S. under the U.S. Executive Service Corps program who were made available to Philippine enterprises. So when I took the job, I found it exciting. So, so and then three years after the invitation from Gigi Silueta and Binky Kalaiko came in, I studied it, accepted it, and I said to Sarah Susmania, I would love to beg off. Anyway, we have the organization to run the EVFI. So he said, okay, be prepared to be the next president. <laughs> and then a few years later, Secretary Poljoska said, I'm stepping down as chairman, you be the chairman. Yeah. 
So there's been no dull moment in my life after I left SGV. I, you know, I, I didn't really work for this. They just happened. But it was a great transition from early retirement, like really having work to do. Wow. And still it's paid work. Yes, yes. Are you still involved with Entre Pinoy? I just retired as chairman last June 30. I'm now an ordinary trustee. But let me share with you what we do there now. Yes, please. Two years ago, when overseas workers were returning home, the uh, Department of Labor, OFW section, talked to DOST to help uh, returning OFWs pursue entrepreneurship with the application of science and technology. And DOST approached us, and we came up with uh, programs to support the overseas workers. This is ongoing. We've been running this for two years now via Zoom. And we are advising overseas workers from all over the Philippines on their uh, entrepreneurship goals. Okay, great. And you said you're already an ordinary citizen, so that means really just helping out, not with any formal position. No, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an ordinary trustee. I'm still a trustee. <laughs> ah, okay, ordinary trustee. Okay, got it. So you have mentioned that the company LHH is really helping in career transitioning. What else does LHH do? The main bulk of the work of LHH is to provide career transitioning and outplacement. This could mean helping them uh, assess their capabilities, assess their readiness for life after employment. We have group programs and we have individual programs. For group programs, we run uh, workshops for groups of 20 people over several days. It can be two days, three days, five days, plus counseling support. For uh, individual programs, we make resources available in the office, but unfortunately, during the pandemic, this is stopped. No? Most of our work during the pandemic, this is all done uh, online, and we are doing very well. In, and in addition to this, we, we provide the workshops for financial planning, personal financial planning, so that before separation, the employees are aware that what they will receive will not last forever. So we compute, we help them determine their needs, we help them determine their options, we help them determine whether to invest or to go into business. We also provide assistance in entrepreneurship so that those with entrepreneurial skills and the right attitude, we help them prepare for entrepreneurship. We invite resource persons to help them depending on where their interests lie. In addition to this, we also provide executive coaching, leadership development, and talent development. But the main bulk of what we're doing now is outplacement career and career transitioning because so many companies uh, have been experiencing financial difficulties and they've had to seek assistance from us. But let me point out, the companies that we're helping are just a small portion of the total population. There are many, many companies here, both domestic and uh, subsidiaries of foreign companies, where the CEOs and the chief HR may not be open to outplacement and transitioning. Why? Well, because they've not done this before. Or two, uh, management is trying to save on the fees. Uh, you know, this is a major mistake because this is a problem of society. When people are separated and they become less productive, then they become burdens to society. So this is something that we are pursuing as a mission 
you know, we take uh, a, a cut in what we charge. And what's important for us is to have more advocates of active career transitioning for employees who are being separated, retired, or retrenched. Have you used success stories of people oh, that yes. really transitioned well for the companies to get this benefit for their employees? Yes, we have plenty of success stories. And we share this with our clients, prospective clients. You know, we share this with whoever is interested. For your information, many executives coming from the multinational companies are being recruited by the up-and-coming Filipino global companies. For example, Jollibee has recruited quite a number of executives from multinational companies. And these executives are, you know, are happy to be helping Philippine companies operate like multinationals. And in addition to this also, because of digitalization, you know, employees need a lot of help. Some people are scared to learn the new technologies. They need to be inspired, guided, and helped so that they will learn new skills and they can pursue other employment opportunities. So when you say the career transitioning, it's really from one employment to another, like from a retirement to another employment? You're not helping them to get into entrepreneurship, put up their own businesses? No, we ask them. We assess what they need. And that's where we counsel them. Sometimes an employee may want to do something, but he doesn't have the mindset and the discipline to pursue that. Then we would discourage that person. Many would like to go into entrepreneurship. But if one doesn't have the discipline and the persistence, to do entrepreneurship and the financial discipline, uh, we tell them, and then if they decide to still proceed, we make them aware of the risks and what they need to do to succeed. Right. So that's a lot of help because in the end, there'll be many of these people who might be later on unemployed, unhappy, confused with their career. Yeah, precisely. So actually, when you say you don't have a legacy, that alone is a help to society and to many families because sometimes, you know, the family wouldn't know what to do with someone who just retired or separated and not doing anything after earning so much and being very successful as an executive. There's the immediate shift to not doing anything, no? That's true. That's true. Well, I, anyway, when you ask me about my legacy, I didn't really think about it. I just do what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard that. Sometimes people... You know, probably out of humility or really they're so busy and every day they're just doing the work that they're supposed to do and doing it well. And that is unintended. But in the end, you come up with a body of legacy. This is something you're doing for society. Hopefully there'll be more of these companies who are really helping, of course, for a fee, because in the end, it's really an arms length transaction. I'm helping you to transition. I'm helping you to get into another career. So, yes. And then going back to your own career, you mentioned after SGB, you became a consultant, you were called to help Senator Osmania. Right now, how would you call that? Is that like a transitioning in motion already? Or was that like a gap? How would you call those five years? Was that five years? To me, there was no gap. There was no interruption. My life was flowing naturally. I was able to do what I enjoyed doing. Maybe it was a blessing. One reason why I opted for early retirement was in 1985, I attended a retreat. <laughs> in 1985, I was 43 years old. And after attending that retreat, I asked myself, what should I really be aiming for? So, so I was comfortable with my compensation. I could afford what my family needed. I had some savings. I asked myself, 
Shall I continue working with SGB and enjoy my earnings? I kept on asking that question so that I started thinking already of retiring at age 50 and what I needed to do so that when I retire at age 50, I was ready. That retreat opened my eyes and made me ask the question of what I'm here for. You know, it, it was a turning point in my life. Very good. So it's like seven years in the making of really thinking, what will I do in my life? Yes. Seven years. And that yes. is already preparation spiritually, emotionally, financially. Yes. At 50, there's a tax break in retirement, right? Yes. I also retired at 52. <laughs> we have similar <laughs> career paths, okay? But the thing is, you went back to employment. You went back after five years to being also an employee. Of course, you will always have a boss. Yeah, but these were not for-profit companies <laughs> until LHH. Did you miss the time that you were like more into advocacy, community service? No, I, I continued to be active in my Rotary Club and in my other foundation work that I was doing. But I just cut down on the time that I was spending. And this also gave me an opportunity to be an investor. You know, Gigi talked to me. He said, would you like to invest? And said, yes. So would you like to acquire one third? I said, yes. So, so I had a stake in the company at that point. If it lost, uh, then I, I was going to suffer. You mentioned the late Jesus or Gigi Solueta. Can you mention other influencers in your life for really building that, that legacy? My mother was a widow when I was two and a half years old. And I have a sister who is three years younger than me. So my mother raised the two of us as a widow. So I didn't have a father. So I learned from her frugality. I learned from her discipline. I learned from her to be simple, you know, uh, and I also learned from her to be prayerful. So I carried these habits from her. Then when I started working, the big influencer was Alan D. Alan D. Uh, he used to be the head of management services. Alan D. was, in 1956, was the highest uh, record holder of the CPA board exams. Until the, sometime in the 80s when somebody from La Salle, a lady, uh, beat him. You know? <laughs> but... Alan D. was ahead of me by one year in, in management services. You know, yeah, from audit, where I was not very happy, he recruited me to management services. Alan was a disciplinarian, a very sharp guy, a details person, and as well as a big picture person. Uh, at the time, I must have been the best CPA in the whole Philippines. <laughs> so I worked with him, learned from him. I learned his habits, you know, he, he worked long hours. He was very meticulous. He had a high level of integrity. So Alan took care of me. He nominated me to AIM to be an SGB scholar for two years. And then uh, later on, he asked me to be assigned to Thailand for a one-year assignment. And he was also instrumental in my promotion to partner. He was instrumental in moving me from MS to HR. So I learned a lot from him, and in effect, he guided me. He guided my growth and development in SGV. The third person uh, who had a big influence to me is Jess Stanislaw. I met Jess in the 1990s after he retired from uh, the government as a Secretary of Finance. You know, I got exposed firsthand to his values education programs uh, when he was with DBP. I've read a lot and learned a lot from him about his vision for Philippine society. And I also learned a lot from him about his spirituality, how to sanctify work. So I've learned a lot from Jess, and uh, you know, he's been a guide to me for maybe 25 years. You know? 
in that we we also have a similarity because it was Dr. Estanislao who brought up the idea of me going to Spain to do the doctorate, going to yes, <laughs> many things in common, right? But there, I think having the career champions would really yes. help one's career. And yes. At the yes. same time, champions who are not simply just okay. You work hard, you get paid, but the ones who are really helping us to be better as persons, as contributors in society, right? Yes, very true, very true. Very good. You were mentioning that when we were talking earlier, before this, while we were planning this session, you were saying, I don't think I built a legacy. I didn't have any plans, any roadmaps. (laughs) (laughs) It it would seem that somehow when you said that, well, at 43, I thought I'm going to try this. I'm going to shift career. You had plans. Somehow, no? Probably, like, working today, doing things well, that we hardly realize that up to this time, we have created a body of legacy, and this is because of career decisions. Yes. You still acknowledge that you didn't have a legacy right now? No, I do, after you're, you're telling me. Wow, you can write a story, really. I think those types of companies you've been in, you realize that there is a bigger purpose. Yes. We can end probably with the tips that you have to younger people on how to build a legacy. Well, first, be the best person that you are. Be guided by the cardinal virtues. You cannot go wrong if you follow the cardinal virtues. Keep on learning. The world is changing fast. We can only survive if we learn as fast. But we also need to reflect periodically to assess how well we are doing and how we can move on. Third, let's take care of society. Society is deteriorating. Communities are deteriorating. The relationships of countries, states, and individuals, they are deteriorating. We need to do something about this. And uh, my favorite statement in my favorite movie is, let us fill the world with love, our whole life true. Very good. So I really am very, very grateful, Mar, for your time. It's not every day that I get to have a guest who has, wow, 60 years of career and so much learning from you. Thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to seeing you again in person after the pandemic. Yes, likewise. Okay, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Decisive Life. If you liked it, take a screenshot of this podcast, share it, and the link to this episode to three of your friends today. Post it in social media and use the hashtag The Decisive Life. Until the next episode, my friend, be good.